following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. I gotta say, in our series that we're talking about the way, the way of Jesus through this time period of Lent, Lent being the 40 days that lead up to Easter. It's a time for us to slow down and remember what Jesus has done for us to say constantly, Lord, I am in need of a savior. See if I can do that once this sermon and lock that microphone into place. Now, we've been talking about this. We've been looking about it, seeing, okay, how does Jesus act? What are his ways? I got excited today as I got ready. I had a story all planned and prepared. But you know what? Sometimes what the Lord does uh, in sermon prep is he goes, listen, you got a plan. And then it's, he hops in the group chat and just goes, LOL, bro, let's try this again. Because I had a great story, but I've told it three or four times before, but I figure it's good. And so I figure everyone else will think it's good, or at the least they'll pity laugh along with me. But I was thinking about, okay, what was the time I was served that someone stepped out and helped me? And I had this story prepped and ready to go. And then the Lord was like, I got you. At 5.45 this morning, my alarm went off. We're house, house sitting, we're dog watching for a friend that they do a lot of dog sitting and they're gonna be out of town and one of their regulars and he said, hey, could you help me out? You know, you can make some money. And I said, well, hey, I like dogs. I like money. I'm in. And so uh, we knew this dog needs to go out about six o'clock. So I had an alarm set, you know, okay, I'll be ready to go. And I've been out of school. So the last school I was in was seminary, right? And so that's now um, six years behind me. But you know that test morning feeling where you forgot that test was today? Does anyone remember that? Some of you type A folks are like, never, never had that happen. But listen, for me, I, uh, those of you who use paper calendars, I believe you exist on a higher plane of existence because I don't know what I would do without my phone buzzing at me four times to remind me. But this morning, my alarm goes off at 545 and I take a breath of, okay, I'm going to get up and let the dog out and oh no. And it was bolt upright And poor Chelsea is still asleep, but feels me bolt upright. And I just go, I forgot to pick up the key to the community center. So for us to get into this building means that on Friday, I go and pick up the key. And it's great. We actually have this building. If we wanted to, we could party here till midnight. We're not going to, but we could. It's nice to have the option. But I sit bolt upright and go, What am I gonna do? And of course I'm freaking out and Chelsea's going, it's gonna be okay. And I'm like, of course it's not. Like, you know, everything's falling apart. And so Jill Kellum, you've just entered the $5 rule of Ted Daring sermons. Now, I use that $5 rule for my family members who don't know they're gonna be in sermons. Matt, how often have you been paid that $5? Never, but I like saying it. But this morning, so Jill works for the Parks Department. She facilitated us getting in here. And I texted her and I said, Jill, I know it is 5.50 in the morning. (laughs) I recognize what time it is. 
I forgot the key, what should I do next? And within 10 minutes, I had a response, oh, don't worry, what time do you wanna get in? I'll grab the key for you. And it was like, I went from just ultra high, bordering on panic attack to, it's gonna be okay. And not only did Jill show up with the key, not only did she beat me here, and I made sure I'm gonna be here at 745, which is when I told her I'd be here. But then she just said, all right, where do chairs need to go? Where do tables need to go? And that served me so deeply that I was in this moment of just pure panic. And Jill stepped up and said, I got it. I know how to get the key, no problem. We've got this, I'll see you there. And I want you to take a second and think about the last time that happened for you. That someone stepped in and just served you. And I'm not talking, you know, we need extra queso, right? That's still serving, tip well. But when someone stepped up and said, you know, I've got this, we can take care of it. Part of my Friday, the reason I forgot to pick up the key was I had been running an errand for my sister-in-law and I got home and my neighbor and I, I got out of the truck, he was working on something, we're talking and he shared that he had just gotten in the last couple months, this new DeWalt battery powered lawnmower. And listen, I grew up mowing lawns. And when Chelsea and I got married, I said, someday when we have a house, we will own no electric lawn mowing equipment. I toted extension cords around long enough, edging yards in my lifetime. There aren't a lot of things I wanna drop money on, but I wanna get gas powered everything. And if these battery powered tools did not work just as well, and it's blowing my mind, but here's my next door neighbor, just, oh yeah, you wanna test them out? You wanna try them out? And then he stands and talks with me and we talk about it and in just that moment of service. So I want you to take through this sermon as I'm preaching, think about Jill, think about my neighbor, think about someone who has served you. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a teacher, could be someone at work who's just stepped in to serve you. Because today we're talking about the way of service. That when Jesus comes, he comes to serve. Last week we talked about that as the Messiah, many expected him to be the king, the one riding in to redeem and save and bring back the old Israelite empire. But instead he comes and says, no, I am the one who comes to redeem and save the world. So as we talk today, Think of someone who's served you. In our story, we're getting close to, closer and closer to Holy Week, to Jesus' triumphal entry. So it says they came up to Jerusalem. Now, some of us would think, okay, you went up to Dallas, right? You went up to, um, you know, Gerald. Wherever you're going up is just north. But think more in Scripture when it says, up, you are physically going up. Israel is a very, I mean, very comparable to the hill country, right? Lots of small mountains and real mountains and hills and everything in between. So they're literally coming up to Jerusalem to a high plain or plateau. And if you've ever hiked up or walked up, 
the side of a hill, a mountain, you know there's a lot of talking, a lot of hanging out, a lot of breaks. And so here, as they are walking and talking, something happens, which is Jesus explains what is going to have to happen to him. And he says this, this is again our reading from Mark. They were on the road and they were going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 aside, he began to tell them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, they will spit on him and they will flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus has just dropped this knowledge on them of what his life as Messiah means. It means that he will go to Jerusalem to his own destruction, that that's where he is headed. And then enter two brilliant disciples. And all I can think is that these two guys while Jesus were talking with the kids in the class talking amongst themselves, right? Jesus is up there going, so here's the deal. Chief priests, they're going to take me. They're going to torture me. Then they're going to kill me. You know, if I'm paying attention in class, that's a big deal. If I'm not, other things might seem more important. And so you get James and John, the, son, the sons of Zebedee. Now, anytime you encounter James and John, I want to put something in your head. Because this is from Mark chapter three, where we first meet the sons of Zebedee, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave, this is Jesus, to whom he gave the name Bojanaris, that is, sons of thunder. Just this brilliant moment in scripture. And every time I come across it, and I hope this bleeds across you. Anytime I see James or John, just in the back of my head is, just ready. Some of you get that joke. Some of you go listen to ACDC. But so here are the sons of thunder, right? It's just, I love it. Sons of thunder, what a great name. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And what do the sons of thunder do? Jesus has just said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. Everything's going to fall apart, but don't worry. I'm going to rise again. And they come up and go, Lord, listen, when you get to heaven, can we sit at your right and left hand? Literally, they have come up and said, can we be the guys? Like, can we be important? Can we get the participation trophy? But like the big one, right? Not that I don't want the small one. I want the big one. So they come up to Jesus and go, this is what's important to us. You may be revealing to us who you are. Okay, whatever. Can we be important? And you got to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Because at this time, now not much, but just a little. At this time, if you followed a rabbi, which is what these 12 were doing, they were the students of Jesus, this rabbi who was much more than a rabbi, rabbi meaning teacher. That was, that was I mean, you're an all-star. You're cream of the crop. If you're working another job at this point, if you're following in the footsteps of your father, whatever his trade was, okay. But if you could follow a rabbi, that was a big deal. And so these two guys are seeing, okay, we've been following this rabbi who's brilliant, who we love. While these other guys are listening, maybe we can get our way in. 
and say, hey, can we be important? Can we walk alongside you so that we can have those seats at your right hand and your left hand? You know, thinking of a ruler who would have his chief advisors right next to him. And I love Jesus's response. He goes, so can you drink the cup that I'll drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am? And that first half of the statement is him going, can you die? Can you die as service to others? Can you do that? And this baptism that I was given, can you be baptized into that as well? And I love, they're like, of course. I mean, we'll just say whatever. If, we, if it means we get to sit next to you, we're in. And they still don't quite understand what he's saying. And so Jesus responds and says this. Jesus called them to him and he said, so he's called all the disciples because when the other 10 heard, they're not too happy, right? James and John have just been like, eh, back of the bus, right? So the other 10 are pretty upset. And Jesus says this to them. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so amongst you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave for all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of man not came to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus takes this moment and says, listen, you have it backwards. The way of the world says, if you have power, you lord it over them. You know, we often talk about that phrase, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But just look even at our own government, whatever side of the aisle, the longer people have power, it seems like the less in touch with others they are. The less it becomes about going into the office to, you know, maybe it's part of your ambition, but there seems to be a knack of service, of of caring, of, of taking care of others, but that has been washed away because the world would tell us we use our power to exercise it over others. But what Jesus says is, no, I came as a servant. I came to serve others. You have James and John who have gotten it so backwards. But you know, Jesus knows this is coming and I love it because he uses it as this teaching opportunity to say, no, if you, if you wanna be great in the kingdom, you must be a servant first. In another place in scripture, he'll say, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we seek to serve which is a very easy thing for me to say, but is a much harder thing for us to do throughout the week. Of saying, how will I serve those around me? If I follow in the ways of Jesus, how do I serve those around me? 
How do I care for them? How do I put others first? There are a lot of answers to that. But what I want to bring you back to is a feeling. I want you to remember what it felt like when someone served you. What we talked about at the top of this sermon is, do you remember what it felt like when someone served you? When they put your needs ahead of theirs. When they said, I've got you, don't worry about it. When they shared what they had. What Jesus is calling us to is a life where we look and we say, how can I be of service? Because what he will do is the greatest thing that could be service. He will die for us. He will take that step for us. Sometimes we look at service and we go, well, as Christians, this is what, part of what we have to do. And we put it on a checklist. And we say, okay, did I pray today? Did I go to church? Did I serve? And it can kind of feel separate and like, how do I be a good Christian? What I would call us to is saying, it's something greater than that. That can be a part of it to say, I don't think it's wrong for us to have checklists, to say, I want to grow. How do I grow? Well, I see what Jesus does and I do what he did. So it's okay to put that on checklist. In fact, here at Narrative, one of our key questions we ask in, in discipleship. So, so we say, a disciple is a person who trusts the promises of Jesus and seeks to follow him. And we've built these three questions around as we read scripture, how do we encounter that in our daily life? How do we seek him? And how does that cause us to, to follow? If we, if we trust him, we seek him, we follow him. And those three questions are, are real simple. It's what's God saying to me in this, in this piece of scripture? What's he calling me to do? And what's my next step? And as we built it, especially for me, the next step idea is like, for me, it's keep it simple because I will mess up complex plans. So I just want one little step. And I think it's okay for us to say, if I want to grow in service this week, I'm going to serve three different people. It's okay to build those kinds of plans and say, that's what I want to do. Because we trust that the Lord is going to come alongside that, that if he's calling us to service, that as we serve, he will work greater through us but we can keep it simple. But when it becomes something where we say, God will only love me if, and then we fill in the blank. God will only love me if I'm serving. God will only love me if I go out and you know, work at a food pantry three times a week. No. God loves you where you are. That in fact, as he says, I have come to die, that that is his service. When was the last time service, someone truly served you and said, okay, now I want you to do this for me. That happens, but that's not service. Service is doing something, expecting nothing in return. And so Jesus comes, he serves us, he dies, expecting nothing from us because he says, my love for you is so deep I will die for you, and this is a gift. But as we receive that gift, we look and we say, okay, what does God call me to do? He calls me to love him 
and love my neighbors. You don't need the service. Your neighbors need your service. Your neighbors need your ability. Your neighbors need your care, your compassion, your love, and your neighbors. If you ask, who is my neighbor? The answer is yes. If you're asking that question, who is my neighbor? They are your neighbor. Whether it is a child in a third world country on a commercial, or it is literally your next door neighbor. Now here's the great thing about Jesus. You don't have to do it all. The good news Part of the good news that Jesus brings us is the body of Christ gathered. That the weight of salvation and service on us does not mean we have to take that to everyone. It means we're receptive when the Lord puts something in front of us. Sometimes you may have to say no, and that's okay. But what I'm challenging you to look for is to say, am I saying no to things I should be saying yes to? Have I cut myself off from this idea of serving others so much so that I don't even think about it? And listen, I can say this because this is my alley. There are people that will have spiritual gifts that, different, that are different than ours, and serving is one of them. I have watched people with the gifts of service and they just drop in, they're ready to go. For me, I have to like build up to it. Right, I have to like push things out of my mind. And it's not the hard stuff. It's like doing the dishes, right? Doing the dishes is service. But you know what's better than doing the dishes? Not doing the dishes. <laughs> Do you know what's better than like going out of my way to help someone? Reading a book I wanna read. And here's the thing. Once again, it doesn't mean you're doing everything, but it means looking at your life and saying, am I ready that when I see the opportunity, I can step in and serve? Because service does a couple of things. First of all, like I said, it's for your neighbor. It is not your benefit, it is for them. As Christians, sometimes we get this backwards and go, I do service because that's what I'm supposed to do. I obey the Lord and he tells me to do this. Sure, but it's so much more freeing to say, yeah, I'm obeying the Lord, but I'm doing it for someone else. It's not for me, it's for them. So the first question we ask is we say, what is God calling me to do? Who are the people around me God's calling me to serve? Second thing is, you don't need anyone's permission to, well, don't just run up to someone and be like, I'm serving you, right? You don't need my permission to serve someone, right? You don't have to come up and go, pastor, I saw this thing and I think, yes, you saw the thing, you felt you need to do it, do it. Now, if it connects with church, we can find some ways to bring it in and do those kinds of things. That's great. We've seen that happen over the pandemic. That's been something I've been so proud of is people coming to me going, hey, can we try this? Can we do that? I'm like, yes, let's do it. That we've served people in some fun ways, some incredible ways, some ways I never would have thought of. So the first thing is, who's the Lord calling you to serve? The second thing is do it. 
There is no third thing. Who's the Lord calling you to serve? And go and do that for their benefit. But you see, there's side effects to service. The Gentiles lord power over others. And what do we say? That power corrupts. It pulls apart, it tears down. Service is the weapon against that corruption. Caring for others is the weapon against selfishness. It feels good to serve people most of the time. Sometimes I love C.S. Lewis talks about loving other people. And he says, sometimes you just go through the motions till it actually happens. Same with service. That will happen sometimes. But the benefit of service is it puts us in the place of Jesus. It puts us in his way. And we feel that. Maybe not today, maybe not two days down the road. And if you're like physically doing something to serve one, shoveling mulch, you know, taking care of garden, you're gonna feel that right away. But that's a different kind of thing. Kids, that's a joke for people over 30. But the Lord calls us to serve. And so as I end my sermon today, we're going to do it in kind of two pieces. The first piece is I want to invite you into a challenge that I invited our leadership team and elders into uh, on Tuesday at our meeting. For the next 15 days up until Easter, I want you to try and take five minutes a day to be in prayer. And listen, if you say, I already do 30 minutes, great, you're a better person than me. That's awesome. Just fold this in. You've already set up the challenge. You're good. But for the next 15 days, and for those of you who are doing math, it was 20 days for the leadership team, okay? I'm just giving you guys five days off. For the next 15 days, Five minutes in prayer. And there are three things I want you to pray about. The first is that the Lord would lead Narrative Church out of the pandemic. That I know there's a corner we're at. I don't know if this is the last corner of the pandemic or like two turns before it, a three, I don't know. I don't wanna say because then I get worried because I thought it was over like, you know, 14 turns ago. But that the Lord would lead us well. That we would seek to follow him. The second piece of that is that the Lord would put us in a place where we can serve others. That as we seek a venue, it wouldn't just be about a place where we can show up and be comfortable as a church, but to come to a place where we can come together and say, in this place, we meet on Sundays, but we want to use it as a tool to reach our community, to benefit those around us. And when I say reach our community, I of course mean with the gospel, but Primarily, I mean, let's start with letting people know they're loved by showing them who Jesus is so that as the Lord would lead us towards a place, that it would be a place like a Swiss army knife that we could use for many different things to serve those around us. And the final piece is to say, Lord, what are you calling me to in the next season? Who are you calling me to serve? What are you teaching me? So three simple questions. Lord, lead us forward. Lord, prepare our hearts and give us a place where we can serve others. And Lord, where are you calling me to serve? 
Where are you calling me to engage and serve others? So that's it. 15 days, five minutes a day. And you can just pray those three questions. I have now become the old man with the alarms with random meanings behind them, right? 10.02, Luke 10.2. And then I was talking about this with Matt at one of our staff meetings. And I said, and I feel this verse, which is Proverbs 35 and 6, which I kind of shared about a couple weeks ago to say, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways. He will make your path straight. And Matt looks and goes, so like 356, right? And I was like, uh, yep, we're going to be those guys. So every day at 356, around the time I'm starting to get, you know that day, that point in your work day where you're like, man, I wish this was done. Well, it's great for me because I get prayer. I go, hey, I've still got some more work to do. I'm going to go to like five o'clock, but I re-energize this 356 prayer where I just have an alarm go off and I stop whatever I'm doing most of the time. Don't think that it's like, it's malleable. It's the point is prayer, not that you have to do it right at 356. But that has been a huge blessing on me to just stop and pray. So for 15 days, if you would pray along with us, that we as the church would come together and pray. Lord, where are you leading us? What location can be a tool for your service to the community? And how are you calling me to serve? And that kind of leads into the second piece, which is find one way to serve someone else this week where you don't expect anything in return, where the point is to serve them. Because our master, our king, our savior said that he came not to be served, but to serve. So this week, find one way to follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Lord, we need you now more than ever. I know for me personally, and I'd assume for a lot of folks in this room, the last 12 months has been a roller coaster. So Lord, what we ask and what we pray is that you would give us peace and strength in the midst of it all. Lord, that you would let us breathe deeply and follow you. So Lord, we pray that you'd bless over the next 15 days our prayers. As we pray to be guided as a church, as we pray to find a place to call home, as we pray to see where you are personally calling us to serve, Reveal yourself to us. Open our hearts to see, to hear where you are leading. And Lord, we just say thank you that you came to serve. That you came to be the savior we needed, not the powerful conqueror of nations that we desired. So Lord, we ask that through this week, even as we seek to serve, let us rest in your service to us. Let us rest in your death and resurrection, that there is joy and hope found there. In your son Jesus' name, amen.